Legislation kicking around the Capitol for two decades, which amends the disciplinary process for some public employees, was approved by state lawmakers in June earlier this year. While proponents of the measure argue it ensures a fair and impartial process for determining the future of public employees subject to disciplinary charges, critics argue it would simply make it easier for bad employees to stay on the job. To discuss the issue, we're joined by Ken Gerardin, a fellow at the Empire Center for Public Policy, a conservative-leaning think tank based in Albany. Welcome back to the show, Ken. Great to be back with you, Dave. It's our pleasure. So according to the sponsors of this legislation, which covers public employees outside of New York City, uh, under existing law, in, in cases without a collectively bargained process, employers like local governments or school districts essentially act as prosecutor and judge when determining how to discipline an employee. And the proposed change in this legislation would simply allow an outside arbitrator to determine the appropriate penalties, if any, for an employee. Is that a reasonable description of what the legislation does? And if so, what's wrong with that? It's not really a reasonable description of what the legislature is trying to do here. To give your listeners a little bit of background, New York for over 100 years has had what we call the civil service system, which is designed to protect employees from basically getting fired anytime there's an election and someone new takes over, and to make sure that folks who get government jobs meet some basic standards. Uh, in a lot of cases, it involves having to pass an exam. And again, that's to keep people from just getting elected and hiring their cronies. But a big part of the civil service system means that whenever someone is disciplined on the job, the employee has to receive due process. That is to say, you can't just have someone win an election, come in and fire everyone willy-nilly who didn't vote for them or didn't donate to their campaign. If you want to fire someone or discipline someone, and by discipline, I mean suspend them or even give them a letter of reprimand, you have to follow civil service rules that have been in their current form since the 1950s where people are guaranteed written notice of the charges, they're guaranteed the chance to defend themselves at an open hearing, and the employer uh, is then left to make a final decision on what to do based on the evidence that comes out in that hearing. Uh, it's a pretty straightforward process, and it's a much bigger protection than most folks get in the private sector. So it's worked well for the past 70 years or so. What folks are trying to do here isn't to make the process more fair, the proponents of this bill are trying to shut down the process altogether. They're trying to make it expensive and difficult for employers to discipline employees, often in pretty extreme cases. They are trying to keep those hearings from happening in the first place by making it too expensive and too difficult to go through the process. So a couple things to unpack there. So you brought up the idea of government officials and cronyism. But this also would apply to people working in, say, a school district. And the example that was raised during the floor debate in the assembly was that under the current rules, a superintendent who's looking to discipline an employee will also then serve as the arbitrator of whether that employee is guilty uh, of some sort of misconduct and what the appropriate punishment should be. Why is that a more desirable pathway for disciplining an employee then the employee and the school district or the superintendent agreeing on uh, an independent arbitrator chosen from a, a list of eligible candidates to be that independent voice and still maintaining the same standard of proof for whether a person committed misconduct. 
what would be wrong with having that superintendent allowed to bring the charges, but not also able to decide whether the person was guilty or not? First, the current system is working very well. One thing that hasn't come up at all. But why, why is that the right way to go, though? Why should the superintendent be the prosecutor and judge? I think most people who hear that would say, I don't think I'd be getting a fair shake under that system. So why would someone think they could get a fair shake? And clearly the teachers don't think they're getting a fair shake because, as you pointed out, their union pushed for this change. Uh, that's the exact situation that most New Yorkers would face because most New Yorkers are employed in the private sector. And- right, but we're not talking about the private sector. We're talking about the public sector. I think people in the private sector would say, boy, I really wish I had the same protections as the public sector. So that could be a whole separate conversation. But in terms of this legislation, what's wrong with having an independent voice decide on the legitimacy of disciplinary action? Let's follow the data. The Proponents of this bill have openly said that they want to mirror New York's teacher tenure system. The teacher tenure system is the one in which it takes roughly $140,000 and an average of 180 days to discipline a teacher for any bad behavior at work that doesn't involve a felony against a student. It involves six months. You have to keep the person on paid leave. It's a very long, drawn-out, expensive process. And the proponents of this bill have said they want to mirror that process. What they haven't been able to show is one person who they feel was railroaded under the current rules. So the, the, the claims about a lack of fairness are entirely pretextual, and they've presented zero evidence that there's anything wrong with the current system. You mentioned the cost of the independent hearing officers. It's my understanding from the floor debate that the cost would be split between the employee and the employer, whether that's the the local government or school district, with the independent hearing officer able to uh, assign more or less of the costs based on how their final decision is. So what's wrong with that? Well, the bill was amended. The original proposal was to have the school district or the town or the village or the county assume the entirety of the cost. And the legislation has left the door open to negotiation over that cost which could mean that taxpayers could still get saddled with this, depending on how negotiations with their unions go on this subject. And in terms of the pool of the so-called independent hearing officers, do you feel that this list that uh, they would have to choose from represent independent voices who could clearly weigh the pros and cons of an issue? Or do you have reservations about these final adjudicators? It's a really mixed bag. The trouble with the folks who this legislation imagines overseeing all these hearings is it's really expensive. And if suddenly every village, every town, every county, and every city outside New York had to go and draw from this list, the prices would presumably go up because they would be inducing a tremendous amount of demand for uh, a fairly limited supply. Could the supply, though, be increased? And if so, do you think, though, these are people who can be level-headed and dispassionate observers? I think plenty of them can. Plenty of them are respected lawyers in their field. It sounds like a really sweet gig. If working for a think tank doesn't work out, I might go cash in on this. And in terms of the employees covered by this, we both noted that this is not something that impacts New York City. But what about employees who might already have a discipline process covered by their collective bargaining agreement? Would this cover them or would they get to continue the process they've bargained for? It's a really interesting question because the collective bargaining in New York's public sector is kind of built on the civil service as a floor. 
Here, the state would be increasing the floor. So there might be situations where judges have to decide what's, whether this new legislation supersedes existing contract. But by and large, the state would be increasing the floor on which everything is negotiated. Assuming this legislation is signed into law, how will you judge whether it's working or not, whether it is costing too much, whether the process is taking too long? What are the benchmarks that you would use to determine whether it's successful or not? The unfortunate thing is that the state legislature doesn't really have a lot of interest in data or evidence or really much by way of substance. And they haven't studied this as a problem that they're allegedly trying to solve. They haven't gone out there and said, we have X number of people getting disciplined per year. We think Y percentage of them are being treated unfairly, and we want to get that down to Z. They haven't done that. So we don't have a really good count. We've got a lot of anecdotal evidence where, for instance, a school superintendent had to discipline security guards for leaving their guns in the bathroom or a bus driver duct taping a special needs student. So we know anecdotally that there are cases where discipline is being administered quite appropriately. What we'd have to see is how expensive does that discipline become? Um, how often is it administered? And how often, as is the case with teachers, how often are you seeing school superintendents especially say, we're not even trying? There was a survey done by the School Boards Association five years ago where they found a third of superintendents said, we had a teacher who we should have terminated for various reasons, and we didn't even try because the tenure system, the one that the state is trying to impose on mayors, town supervisors, county executives, is so bad, we didn't even make an attempt. Another component of this bill is that instead of being suspended without pay while you await the adjudication of a disciplinary process, an employee could be suspended, but only with pay. What do you think of that for a holding pattern based on the idea of, say, you know, innocent until proven guilty? Right now, the system works well in that folks get their hearing and depending on how that case is adjudicated or if it's appealed, how it's appealed, uh, folks get back pay if it was found that they were suspended inappropriately or termination was sought inappropriately. We have a good system for making people whole if they are wrongfully accused of stuff. One thing that we can't lose sight of here is that employers have an incentive to keep their workforce happy on the job and and working, not to go make up charges willy-nilly. It's a really tight labor market right now. It's really difficult to recruit people. It's really difficult to retain people in a lot of corners of the, the public sector. So the suggestion that there are all these mayors and town supervisors just waking up in the morning who are out to get their employees, and this New York State legislature needs to go put on its, you know, its Superman tights and rescue them from these malicious office holders is just a complete fiction. But conversely, you and I both know, whether it's in government or private life, that there are vindictive employers, employers who hold a grudge, employers who are willing to bite off their nose despite their face and would be willing to go after employees. So why doesn't it make sense to protect those victims, so to speak, even if they do represent a small portion of the pool that might be covered by something like this? Well, ultimately, the civil service system is there to protect the taxpayers as much as it is to protect the employees working. And I realize there's overlap in those groups, but it's there to keep the taxpayers from having government services collapse every time there's an election. And it's been working quite well. Like I said, we don't have any evidence where employers are, notwithstanding the fact that there are 
bad people in elected office all over the place. We don't see evidence that this particular system is being abused by those people. Well, we've been speaking with Ken Gerardin. He's a fellow at the Empire Center for Public Policy. Ken, thank you so much for making the time. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Support for the Capitol Press Room provided by the New York State AFL-CIO, a federation of 3,000 unions fighting for working people by keeping New York State union strong. Visit unionstrongny.org for more information.